welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Such a High Priest by Pastor Sean Wood. As you're making your way, we will reference some verses out of Exodus 28 and 29. However, we will anchor most of what we have to say today in Hebrews chapter 7 and 8, briefly as we come to the end. Today I want to talk about our high priest. We kind of spoke about part one last week and we'll kind of touch base with that again in a moment as you're making your way to Exodus 28. Uh, recently I was coming back from a fishing trip. It only happens every now and again, I know. I don't get that much time to fish. But they were redoing the traffic and the road at Old Cleveland Road. You know where they turn right to the Harlem, down towards Manly, I think some people call it, but it's kind of, it's, it's the Bronx, the ghetto down at, down at Manly and Lodaway. That's kind of, just at that intersection there where they've done everything up, uh, some people need a pass to get across the border from Loda. Uh, but just as they were doing that up, the lights were on the blink and there was a man standing in the middle of the intersection in a police uniform directing the traffic. And everybody was doing exactly what he said, but I was sitting there thinking, you know what? Take the uniform off and see if everybody still does what you ask them to do. Now, if that man takes the uniform off and still stands in the middle of the intersection, immediate target practice, I know, but for a moment, nobody's going to listen to what he says. Now, he could yell and scream all he likes, telling us that he's a police officer. But nobody's going to listen to him. Sometimes you're lucky to get them to listen to you if you're wearing the uniform today. But today I want you to grab the fact that the man doesn't make the garments, the garments make the man. You see, the minute we see the uniform, the minute we see the clothes on the police officer, immediately, immediately we recognise there's an authority attached to the uniform, right? And today as we talk about a high priest, we are going to unpack the clothes that the high priest wore. We're going to unpack the symbolism that is involved in the garments of the high priest because in scripture, garments speak symbolically, outwardly, of what is imposed on a person inwardly in character and in integrity. And so as we unpack the garments of the high priest, we get a beautiful revelation or a further revelation of our high priest and his role. Before we go any further, just to digress for a moment, uh, As we move into the New Testament, God's desire is heightened for us to be known as the royal priesthood. People will know those verses, but there is what they call the doctrine or the theology of the priesthood of believers, which means we are all priests. We have a high priest who we will discuss today. But what that means for us is that we also wear clothes. We also are adorned in the spiritual realm with clothes that in the spiritual realm give us an authority that other people don't have. Those robes are given to us by Christ. I remember when I played football, I moved from one team to the next team and when I got there, I knew I was in the right place because I walked into the change rooms and there's a Guernsey hanging out with my name on it. I knew that I belonged, they had the clothes for me. I walked out onto the field and I, my first game was against the team I'd just left, so that was rough, but <laughs> to say the least. But I knew that I belonged because there was clothes there for me and that was my place and that's the same for us. And in the book of Acts, as an example, in the book of Acts, Seven Jewish exorcists, which was a thing in those days apparently, but seven Jewish exorcists see Paul casting a demon out of another person. And so later on they go up and they go, well, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, 
and the demon answers them because they didn't have the clothes on. They didn't have the spiritual clothes on. The answer came, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you? And I don't know about anybody else, but when you in Tasmania, if you go into the fight fully clothed and you leave naked, you lost. (laughs) And, And those guys lost. But we wear priestly clothes also under our high priest. A little bit of a recap just so that we, what brings us to these verses, uh, just heightening God's heart in the tabernacle. God's heart and God's desire is to dwell with us in his presence. That is God's heart. And God's heart is expressed in that in the tabernacle. We saw that last week. God is calling us to come. There is a great invitation for us to come to him. And so we ask the question, how can we come? And we looked at that last week. We come with a true and genuine heart. We come in full assurance of faith. We come with our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed. And uh, if you missed last week, you can pick up on that. We'll, We'll touch base with that a little bit later. But God's heart to dwell with his people, but there was still a responsibility for Israel to want him to do so. And today, God's desire is to dwell inside of us and to reign unchallenged inside of us. Now, if I ask the question, who would love to dwell in the presence of God? We'll all raise our hands and we've all got the spiritual Sunday answers. Yes, oh yes, praise God. But I want to ask you today, do you really want God to dwell in your heart? And are you ready to pay that price? I'll clarify this as we work our way along. Uh, There is kind of a oxymoron in the gospel to some respects. It goes a little bit like this. Salvation is completely and utterly free. If you wanted to buy it, you couldn't. You can't earn salvation. It's a free gift paid for through the person of Jesus who paid for your sins. But here's the climax and here's the flip side of the coin. It will cost you everything. And Jesus didn't put that in the fine print. That's another carton, Michael. (laughs) But are we willing for him to dwell and to reign? Uh, We also have had, as we've worked our way through the tabernacle, although God's desire is for his presence to dwell amongst Israel, Israel would never directly experience or know his presence. How was it that Israel, and this is really important as we move into today's message, how was it that Israel was able to enjoy the presence of God? It was only by representation and mediation. As in, they actually never went into the Holy of Holies. That was reserved for one man, one day of the year. And they used to tie some bells around the bottom of his skirt in case things went wrong when he was in there. And there was a handful of priests that ministered in the holy place. But everybody else, as we unpacked last week, everybody else was confined to the courts. And so we see a picture in the tabernacle of us kind of working our way in towards God. But in the New Testament, we see that that's reversed. God is coming to dwell inside of us. And I want you to know today that you are, and I've said this before, and I say it again, you are as close to God today as you want to be.
Well, let me have a look at the garments uh, of the high priest. And you can read for yourself, you can read Exodus 28. Exodus 29 speaks about the consecration of the priests. That's not unimportant. It's just not a conversation for today. The consecration of the priests was uh, about sacrifices that prepared them for the presence. And there is a preparation process for the presence. But when we look at the garments, what do we see uh, symbolically from the garments that can teach us about our high priest and how can we understand them? Uh, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of symbolism that we haven't got the time to go into. But when you unpack uh, what it was that the high priest wore, it began with what they call a, a white ephod. And the ephod was like an apron or a, a pure white linen cloth that went underneath, speaking very symbolically of being clothed with heavenly divinity. But these guys on the ephod, which is important for a moment, had two stones, one on each shoulder. And on those stones, engraved in those stones, was the six names of the tribes of Israel. Six on one side, six on the other, making the tribes of Israel. And later on, there's outward adornings and there's gold, but every part of the colour, uh, the purple, the scarlet, the pomegranate, all of those colours you would find in all the tapestry within the tabernacle. And what God is telling us and what God is telling Israel is this man is made for this place. These garments make the man and that makes the man for this place. You would just assume that this is his place. If you walk into a police headquarters, you're not going in there looking for a doctor. You're looking for people in a police uniform inside of the police headquarters. And you would look at Aaron and everything lined up, even the gold chains that link everything together. On the ephod, he would have two stones with the tribes of Israel engraved on them. And there were further stones that were over his heart. They also bore the names of the tribes of Israel. And immediately we see that the high priest is able to go into the presence and immediately we see that he is bearing the full weight of the people of God as he goes in. He is taking them symbolically into the presence of God and securing their place in the presence of God. If you... If you work your way through, you'll, you'll find that uh, there were things, the onyx stones were on the ephod. Uh, you'll also find that the high priest wore a turban and there was a big plate on the turban which said holiness to Yahweh, which speaks about the consecration and the separation of Aaron. And Aaron, uh, who was the original high priest, and then, of course, there were further ones, but Aaron would wear this. But the whole idea is through the sacrifices and through the ceremonies, he is bearing the weight and the shame of the weaknesses and the imperfections and the wrongs that Israel has committed as he goes into the Holy of Holies, taking the blood from the sacrifice and sprinkling it on the Ark of the Covenants. If you read verses 28 onwards, uh, 36, sorry, if you read verses 36 of chapter 28 onwards, it speaks about him bearing the guilt of Israel. Other things you might find, uh, a couple of stones called the Urim and the Thummim. Now, there's not a whole lot known about these in Scripture, except we do know they were used to make 
discernments or judgments from the Lord. It was a way of seeking a yes or no answer from the Lord. Uh, it was kind of like, does the Lord say yes or no? And you would reach in and pull out a stone and whatever one you pulled out was the answer yes or no. It was a mechanical means of determining the will of God. Interesting, as you work your way through scripture, you can't find a whole lot listed about these stones. But what we do find is with an increase of the prophetic voice, there is a decrease in the mechanical means of determining God's will. Uh, The Urim and the the Thummim were replaced, maybe, but also what became very popular was what they call casting lots. And most people here will have heard or read in scripture that they used to cast lots, which is akin to throwing the dice. And we might look at that today and go, you know what, that's a very haphazard way of determining anything. But it's actually filled and packed with faith. Because what they are saying when they roll the dice, what they are saying when they reach into their pocket is, we believe that the sovereign Lord controls every roll of the dice. You might read about lots being cast for Jonah on the boat. Uh, they cast lots to see why the boat was in so much trouble. It's Jonah, throw me over, overboard. And I don't like the story of Jonah because that reverses things for me. I don't like my fish eating me. I prefer the other way around. And so I don't talk. But if we move into the New Testament, they were still casting lots. They were casting lots at the foot of the cross for Jesus' garments. And if you read in Acts chapter 1, you'll read that the, that the apostles cast lots to see who would replace Judas. And it was Matthias. And that is the last time you read of any mechanical means of determining the will of God because what comes next is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And no more mechanical means of determining the will and the direction of the Lord because we have the helper, we have the counsellor, we have the one given to us by our high priest to determine. Some great news there for us this morning. As we come into the New Testament, we've learned briefly, and to be honest, we could spend weeks unpacking some of the symbolism in the tabernacle. Uh, A little bit like when we went through the book of Revelation, we have to pull out what, what is most important to us and how does that apply to us today. And so today I want to talk about the fact that now that we've looked at Uh, the high priest in the Old Testament. few things to note. Uh, The high priest, although he went through sacrifices, although he wore the garments, although the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he was still sinful, imperfect, and filled with the sin nature. That's important for when we look at our high priest and for those that have made their way to Hebrews Chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 starts with this. Now the point, or if you, in the Greek, it could say, now the chief point. And this morning, we've we've looked at some of the symbolism of the high priest. We've we've looked at what that meant for Israel. We could unpack all the sacrifices and, and all the preparation for them. Or we could ask ourselves, what is the chief point today? The chief point today for us is we have such a high priest. We have, now the point is, and what we are saying is that we have such a high priest, one who is seated, that will become enormously important as we work our way to the end. Uh, One who is seated is one who is finished. He's completed his work. At the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent or tabernacle. Some translations will have the word tabernacle there. 
that the Lord has set up and not man. Now we're moving into the true tent. And for those that were here last week, we covered off the book of Hebrews could be summed up with one word. It's called better. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians at a time when the temple was still offering sacrifices and, and people are still going through some of the ordinances. And he wants them to know those things are fading away. Those things are of the past and they will be swept away. They were in 70 AD. But what he wants them to know is there is something better. We, Jesus is better than Moses. The new covenant, he will say, is better than the old covenant. The way that we approach God, the way that we draw near to God. The privileges we have in Christ are enormous and will take us the rest of our physical lives just to scratch the surface of what Jesus has done for us. We have a better saviour, we have a better prophet, we have a better new covenant, we have a better way of drawing near and we have a better high priest. It's not a sermon for today, but he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek met Abraham. But what we know about Melchizedek and how that applies to our high priest is Melchizedek's priesthood has no beginning and it had no end. And under the old Levitical system, priests would come and priests would go. The high priest would come and the high priest would go. And changes often came and surrounded that. By the time, now we might begin to understand the abomination when we reach the time of Jesus and the abomination of Caiaphas on the role of high priest. What we see here is we have such a high priest. But what, what high priest? Let's go back a few verses. Chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save us to the uttermost, or he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always, always, always lives to make intercession for them. We're going to unpack that verse, but we have such a high priest. Just as Aaron went into the presence of God bearing all the names on both his shoulders and his heart of Israel. So Jesus, we will see, is bearing our names right before the throne right now. We have such a high priest who is able, I love these words, to save to the uttermost. What the writer to the Hebrews wants you to know is where the bulls and the goats and the sheep and the lambs, where they fell short, Jesus can make you perfect. He can perfect you from the inside out. He can, now he can cleanse you. you. You'll be pleased to know, Terry, that he can now cleanse you even to your conscience. That's what the blood of Jesus can do. Forgetting all your days in Aladala on the surf. I know, right? <laughs> He's able to save us to the uttermost. What was lacking under the old system, Jesus has completely fulfilled. Today, if you uh, believe in Jesus and have placed your faith and trust in Christ, today I want you to know that he has saved you to the uttermost. Not halfway, not a quarter of the way, not a little bit of the way. He has saved you to the uttermost. Which also means you can't do it yourself. 
He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God, those who come near to God. And, and we had a look at the word come last week. What does that mean? And, and we unpacked that briefly. But we also had a look. I heard this statement this week. And this, will, this will shock you. I heard this statement this week. Jesus said, come follow me and we'll sort your sin out later. Jesus never said that. Didn't hear that in this room, by the way, or anybody in this church. But what I did mention to that person is, could you please go back and ask yourself the question, what that meant to a little tax collector guy that's sitting in his booth collecting taxes. Can you imagine what that meant for him? This isn't come now and we'll we'll sort your sin out later. This is come now and leave everything of your life behind. There was a moment in scripture which might help us to understand what God's call to us through the tabernacle and what the message that is coming to us even through the book of Hebrews is. There was a moment when the disciples were in a boat all on their own, no Jesus. And the wind and the waves started to pick up and started to get a little bit rough. And all of a sudden, they look out and they can see somebody or something walking on the water. And they yell out. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me. Don't ever get out of the boat until the Lord bids you. Bid me to come to you. Jesus says, come. The word come for Peter in that moment meant you leave everything that's comfortable, everything that's familiar, everything that you've trusted and built for yourself. How many of us have built boats? Mark, that's a a rhetorical question, Mark. Thank you. How many of us are building our own boats of familiarity and comfort? If you want to draw near to God, you've got to do what Peter does and step out of the boat. Now I know some people say, well, it wasn't long before we started to look at the wind and the waves and sink, but he still walked on the water. And all the other disciples were in the boat. My question today, as Jesus bids us to come, are you in the boat? Or are you climbing out? What do you mean by bid? Bin? Bid. 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 What do you mean? Bid means to bid me or ask me. Command me to come to you. Yeah, good question. Question. Jesus is doing the same today. Great question. Jesus is doing the same today to us, and he does the same to those who don't know him. He bids them to come to him. But it involves a risk on our part. It involves leaving what's familiar. It involves leaving the safety and the comfort. Uh, notice that we, are, we all love the, the theology of the priesthood of the believers. But please note that in the Old Testament, the Levitical priests, when the, land, when the promised land was divided up, they weren't given any of it. What did God say to the priest? He says, I will be your inheritance and I will be your portion. And James, when he says, draw near to God, he uses that in the framework of leave your friendship with the world. We have such a high priest who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. Here's a a huge word today, through. I was thinking about this and as I was pondering this, I stumbled upon uh, an analogy, true story that might help us to understand the word through. Remember with our high priest in the Old Testament that he was one that would mediate and would take the people of God into the presence of God. And there was a Union soldier in the Civil War whose father and brother had been killed in the Civil War. And he wanted to go back home 
to his mother and to his sister to help them on the farm and on the property. So he decides to make his way to Washington, D.C., to the White House. And on, upon arriving at the White House, he is immediately turned away. Doesn't get anywhere. Doesn't get past the front fence. Very sad and very despondent, he goes and he sits upon a park bench and there's a young nine-year-old boy that walks past him on the park bench, sees that he is sad and says, what's the matter? This Union soldier goes and tells him his story. My father and my brother have both been killed. I need to go back. I was hoping. This young nine-year-old boy takes the hand of the Union soldier and says, come with me. And this young boy would take him around the back entrance of the White House, past all of the guards, straight into the room of Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln turned around and said, Tad, what have you done? He says, Dad, this man needs to speak to you. That man was pardoned, but he wouldn't have got anywhere near Abraham Lincoln had that boy not taken him by the hand. That's what Jesus is doing to us. Step out of the boat. I want to take you by the hand into the presence of my father. You can't get there by yourself. You can read all the chapters of the Bible you like, and you should. We should soak ourselves in God's word. We should pray, but that won't get you into the presence. You're going to have to take the hand of the high priest. He's the only one that can usher you into the presence of God. Here's the good news today. You don't have to achieve it. You just have to come. He is able to save to the uttermost those who uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And an intercession uh, is to petition. The idea here is to petition the king on behalf of somebody else. It's kind of like it's me having the standing before a king to go and speak to the king on your behalf. You don't have any right to stand before the king. You don't have any position or standing to approach the king. But because I do, I'm going to speak to the king on your behalf. And for the British amongst us, when you go back home, you could speak to the king on my behalf. In old King James, please, Richard, um, I'm sure... He will listen. But to make intercession, unpack for a moment what that means for you as an individual. That Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heavens, in the true tabernacle, in the true tent. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven and he is interceding for you. He's sitting there saying, you know what, I know that guy's mucked up again. I know he's making those cat jokes again. But we've prepared a suit for him. Lord have mercy. (laughs) Believe it or not, this will be hard to believe, Jesus is in heaven right now going, I know Terry's from Ulladulla. We're trying to take the man out of Ulladulla, but you can't get the Ulladulla out of the man, right? (laughs) That's that's very true. But that's great comfort for me today because uh, I don't know, I, I know this will shock some of you guys, but every now and again I make a mistake. And as you're picking your jaws up off the ground, uh, please note that uh, I'm probably not alone. And I need somebody before the Father saying, you know what, I paid for that. He can come because I paid for that. I empowered him to get out of the boat. He's wearing the robes I gave him. He's he's allowed to come. He's, He's a part of the team, Father, because he's wearing our Guernsey. I made it for him. I put his name on the back. Your name is on your robes. Your name is on... 
his hand. We have such a high priest. I'm going to ask the uh, stewards if they could hand out the emblems. As I finish these few verses, now the point, the chief point today is we have a high priest that has bid us to come into the presence of God. And what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. And our high priest offered himself. He is the holy, innocent, spotless, blameless Lamb of the Almighty God. And he is seated at the right hand for us. Uh, as we come around the Lord's table and as we bring this to a close, I have something to this morning I want to go to my favourite verses in the New Testament. In the book of Romans, he spends 11 chapters unpacking the gospel. And if you're sitting here today going, I wonder what the gospel is, read the first eight chapters of Romans. And if, you've, if, you're, if you're an Israelite or a Jew here today, then read the other three as well. But then we come to Romans chapter 12. And after telling us about how God has given us his son and how, he, how, how by faith we are made righteous in him, all these wonderful promises, after speaking about Romans chapter 8 is about our security in him and how we're sealed in the Holy Spirit in him. We now come to Romans chapter 12 and we're told, this is your response. We've been talking about sacrifices and priests and, and if you were entering the tabernacle in the Old Covenant, you would come through the gate which always faced east for those that were here last week. And, and as you made your way through that gate, you would be confronted with a huge altar and a priest asking for your sacrifices. Last week I said the sacrifices haven't ended and they haven't. You can leave your bulls and goats and cats and sheep at home. But the sacrifices continue. Here's what Paul says. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. These are glorious verses. We, we could preach on these for half a year, I reckon, just these first two verses. But Paul says, I appeal to you, I beseech you, in the old King James, brother Richard, I beseech you or I appeal to you or I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God or in view of all of God's wonderful mercies that I've just unpacked, I urge you to make a response and I am urging everybody to make a response this morning, as we come around the table of the Lord, as we remember what Christ has done for us, as we reflect upon the wonderment that is our high priest who takes us by the hand to bring us to his glorious father. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Which is holy and acceptable. And the holy and acceptable part comes back to last week. What does holy and acceptable look like? It looks like a genuine and true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled with the blood of Christ and our bodies washed. To present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable 
service. Basically, here's what Paul's saying. It's your reasonable response in light of God's great mercy to us. Sacrifices haven't ended. See, in the old Levitical system, you would walk into the courtyard and you would offer up your animals and then the animals would be accepted by the priest who would then officiate in the duties and nothing's really changed. Except now when you walk into the true tabernacle and you come before God, you present yourself. No more dead sacrifices. No more need for blood. Because Jesus' blood has paid it all. But you know what? We have a habit of getting on and off the altar, right? I'm a living sacrifice on Mondays, but when my football team loses, I'm still a living sacrifice, but it looks different. Two big words. The word present and the word living. God doesn't demand, God doesn't come and take. God asks that when we come to him, we willingly say, Lord, here I am. Jesus had to make it easy for guys like me, for uneducated Guys like me, he had to make this really easy and he did. All I have to do is surrender. He's already fought the fight. He's already obtained the victory. We as Christians don't fight to obtain a victory. We fight to uphold it and to enforce it. The other powerful word is the word living which means it's ongoing every morning you open your eyes is you saying to the Lord, here I am, Lord, I'm laying on the altar, your will be done, not my will be done. I'm here as a sacrifice for you, I want you to fill me. Paul says that's an act of spiritual worship. Paul says that's reasonable service. Paul says that's the rational response to the glorious mercy we see in our God. It'll take a couple of minutes to pause. To ask a couple of questions this morning as we come around his table, as we reflect even on our own hearts uh, Are you on that altar today? Are you in the boat? Lord, as we come around your table, we don't do this lightly. We reflect on the enormous price that our salvation cost. We reflect on the enormous price to rend that veil, to tear down the man-made sanctuary and to invite us into your sanctuary. We 
we reflect on the enormous price. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, as he had already willingly given himself into the hands of evil men, as they were coming to seize him, he would turn to those who were closest to him and he would say, that as we eat together, this bread this bo- is, is my body broken for you. Lord, this morning together, as we reflect and as we, as we open our hearts for the Holy Spirit, we reflect that we are not our own, that we were bought with a price and that price was your body torn for us. Let us eat together in remembrance of our... King and High Priest this morning. Taking the cup, he says, this is my blood poured out for many. A blood that would do away with all of the animal sacrifices. A blood that would not only temporarily wash the outside, but would would penetrate to the inner man and cleanse our hearts and our conscience. A blood that would bring us back into union with the God who spoke the universe into being. And today we remember and we reflect as we drink together in the presence of the Lord. Let us drink together in his name this morning. Lord, this morning as we as we finish up this morning, Lord, I, I thank you for the glorious truth that you are our high priest, that you are bidding each one of us to come deeper, 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 that we need to step out of the boat this morning and come into the presence. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made the way. Thank you, Jesus, that what I could not do, you have done. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.